You're listening to the AID Network. Hey friends, welcome to the Obi-Wan year anniversary of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland. Now I know kind of didn't get to go there on the one year because of the whole pause-demic, but it doesn't mean we can't stop, celebrate, and observe the one year. And as you know, Disneyland for Designers is coming to you each and every Wednesday as long as those gates right down the road from my house are closed. And there's three ways that you can help me out with this effort. You could go to anchor.fm slash Disneyland for Designers and become one of our sponsors, or you could simply leave a positive review wherever you're listening to this show today, or as many stars as possible. And what that does is aggregate our podcast to the top of the pile. So when someone somewhere is looking for a Disneyland podcast, they might pick Disneyland for Designers. And the bigger the audience gets, the more this grows, the better of a potential there is of Disneyland for Designers coming to you each and every Wednesday, even when the park opens right back up. So if you could do one of those three things or all of them, I would greatly appreciate it. What do you say we get started with today's Obi-Wan year anniversary of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge? And it starts right after this message from our sponsor. Hey, Disney fans. Do you have a Disney fan brand? Do you like to show your your fandom by making the limited edition merchandise for you and all of your friends? Or do you like to design a shirt for the family to wear to go out to the park? Did you know that you can do all this and save money and get free shipping by listening to this show? Head over to our sponsor, jackprince.com, where you can get site-wide discounts by going to jackprince.com slash C-O-T. That stands for Circle of Trust. And Jack Prince has been a supporter of Adventures in Design, the AID Network, and the Circle of Trust since the very beginning. And they pass that sponsorship over to you by giving you a discount site-wide. So whatever you're making for your fan brand, head over to jackprince.com slash C-O-T, save some money, get some free shipping, and who knows, maybe you'll discover a product to let you share your fandom with all your friends and fans. This is the story of a beautiful place known as the happiest place on earth and all of its history, its secrets, and its tricks that you may find if your mind believes in design and you allow your heart to believe in magic. Step inside and become a citizen of Disneyland. Greetings, fellow citizens of Batu. That's a button I don't have either. Does that button even exist? Well, if it does, I'd rather be a citizen of Disneyland, but I would gladly be a citizen of Batu. And I've been happy to be a citizen of Batu. Obviously, no button, because Disneyland hates me for some reason. But I love it. And I have loved going to the Galaxy's Edge for all of its first year. Such a magical part of the park that Jared and I have created so many amazing memories. Late nights, hangouts. It was sort of a slow start, a controversial start, but one that from the very beginning won over my heart. If I could rhyme a little bit here. Galaxy's Edge showed the promise of a future and it showed a completion of Disneyland, making it The first time in Disneyland's history that you could actually walk around the entire outer loop of the park. No more dead ends. No more snaking back around. You could actually finally do a lap. And if you know there's anything that I love more than the attractions, almost as much as the food, I love just walking through the park. I love being there. I love that it's a place where I live. 
and it's a part of my everyday life. And even though right now it's on pause, still very much alive in my heart. So what do you say? By now you know the rules. Close your eyes, hear the sounds of the galaxy's edge, and in your mind, see the visual of what I think is possibly the greatest themed Disney park land that Imagineering ever created. It's Disneyland for Designers, episode 23, the Obi-Wan year anniversary of Galaxy's Edge. Well, Jared, time sometimes goes really, really slow. Like the last handful of weeks, time has gone very, very slow. But I remember a time that felt like it went pretty fast. The development of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge from the announcement to two years later to the D23 preview of the model that we fawned over to slowly watching that outer perimeter wall where each week we got a little bit more edge of the Galaxy's Edge. (laughs) In some aspects, that four years was feeling like eternity. But a year ago, we each got to go into the Galaxy's Edge for the very first time. And when it finally happened, and I remember I was standing with a bunch of guests on the outer edge of the Hungry Bear, I came Mm -hmm. in through that entryway. I was waiting for my boarding group to get let in to the land. I remember sitting there going, man, this four years flew by. Like, at some moments, I thought it was going to be forever. But it kind of went fast. I think it was because we were constantly getting a little drip of new news. So it wasn't like they told us something. It wasn't like, hey, guys, Christmas is coming. And then you had to wait for four years for Christmas. It was like, Mm -hmm. Christmas is coming. And it might look like this. And you might right. get this. I think exactly. the, the drip of media rollouts was just enough to make you always be inquisitive and feel like you're getting a little bit closer. Oh, for sure. And I, I think this is one of the this is one of the first times with a with a full land for, for Disneyland uh, where I actually enjoyed this part of the process. Like yes. I, I kept every time something happened, I'm like, this is the first time and only time we're gonna be able to experience this. Uh, you know, just being on the other side of it, peeking through that fence, oh. you know, uh, you know, just the addition of that pathway by Hungry Bear, that was exciting. And it was the first time where I could really sort of relish all of those steps and be like, this is, you know, eventually we're going to get to the point where this is just old news. Nobody cares about this path anymore. This path isn't new. But to say like, okay, enjoy this while it's new and it's exciting. And like that made, I think, the time go by a little bit faster than it normally would have. You're absolutely correct. Because, for example, the Hungry Bear Path, when that Mm -hmm. got opened up and we were able to go to where the railroad crosses overhead and right where now we know that we go through that rock work and you start to hear the John Williams music, Mm -hmm. that was monumental to just enjoy that one little sliver. And remember when Frontierland opened up and we got to see those cascading rock work, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of goes over to purposefully block our sight lines. and. They opened up the far end of Frontierland where we could walk down that winding path and there was no reason to go down there. But you and I did it every single trip to the park. Of course. And one of my all-time favorite me and you memories at Disneyland is when we would ride the train sitting backwards. 
just to try <laughs> yes. to see what we could see. And, the, and I remember you and I being like, whoa, whoa, we can see the top of a building. And yep. we were like, it looks so Star Wars, the top of that building. It has given me a different context. Yeah. Now when our Buck Philander goes, you know, he's got a date for everything. 22 and a half years ago today, you know, Small World <laughs> opened up for the first time, see? And, I, and now when I look at those posts, I try to imagine, were there weirdos like us back then that mm. would walk up to the wall and go, man, I hear they're making a roller coaster inside of a mountain that's going to be called Matt Horn. You know, like, <laughs> it, it has given me a whole different context of the evolution of the park because this is, as a hardcore Disneyland fan, this is my first big, I mean, this is my first big blow the barn door off of the place. And I have to say, I don't think anything this massive has happened since California Adventure or maybe Cars Land. I, I, I don't mm-hmm. I mean, Cars Land was a big deal, but Galaxy's Edge was the biggest of deals and, and 14 more acres of Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Cars Land... I am not the biggest Cars fan. That's what I'll say. Uh, so I had zero expectations for that land. I was very excited to see what they do because you're excited for any any new sure. uh, attraction or anything. Um, but I, I didn't have a lot of like, oh, they better get this right. You know, like it, it didn't carry that emotional weight. So for Star Wars Land, which I think is also part of the problem, is that everybody had a, a very specific expectation of how this thing should key into their nostalgia so i think it felt very personal to a lot of people to most people and so the expectation was different than something with cars land or even if they get cars that perfect uh, you know you like it but it's a very different feeling than it is if it's star wars land also the approach is very different right yeah cars land can um, recreate the exact thing that you know about that film for star wars didn't do that they did the opposite you've never seen this place of this thing that you love so much and so i think everyone had these like you know like we're very excited because it's imagineering and we trust them and we trust what they're going to do and we like the concept but but how is it going to play on something that's so steeped in nostalgia so yeah just a very specific thing for star wars land that i think oof, they, they had a lot going in that was difficult to sort of rise to I don't think of many other brands mm-hmm. or you know intellectual properties IPs that they would go that hard on putting into Walt's original Magic Kingdom. Yes, yes. I think everybody in the company understands that the OG 1955 Anaheim, California Disneyland is like a sacred thing, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's the beginning of this amazing experiment. And they really guard, I think, Disneyland pretty heavily on what yeah. what is a... That's nah, more of a California adventure idea. And it's hard to think of any other major brand or, or uh, IP that has sort of that, that level of fantasy that Star Wars has. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why they felt comfortable putting it in the original and in such a massive thing... I mean, it is the biggest land. Yeah is because it had legs for 40 years it is proven that it's somewhere where movie stops and a religion start mm-hmm. and even though the newer stuff isn't totally figured out and i think ultimately they will get 
a proper tone for telling Star Wars for decades to come. You know, people forget that Marvel wasn't exactly nailed right out of the gate. Some of those early Marvel films had some some growing pains, and even Marvel as a studio, you know, like the Ang Lee Hulk is, mm-hmm. what the was right. that? And so that part's a little immature in this. But when we look at Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, Yoda, Obi-Wan, the Force. I mean, just the Force alone is a very Disneyland, believe in magic, your dreams can come true. Uh, you know, people that are basically of obscurity are, are capable of being the hero of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. That's all very core Disneyland. And in a way, mm-hmm. it's kind of a, a princess story that's a little bit skewed, a little bit more male. Even though Star Wars, way ahead of its time, was sort of on the forefront of very strong female character. Something right. that always resonated with me and changed my whole life was when Princess Leia was like, you're here to rescue me? Right, right. You know, that attitude that she had. Mm-hmm. I was just old enough to kind of pick up on that. That Like, I love Princess Leia because she's mm-hmm. tough and she, she can hang with the guys. Like, I love that at an early age. And... There's not many times celebrities die that it, like, gets to. Yeah. I cried when Carrie Fisher passed. Yes. yes. Because it was the death of Princess Leia. And Princess Leia was just such a sacred part of my life. And really, I think, fundamentally taught me a different way to think about... Or not a different way. Taught me the way to think about a woman in a movie and women in my life. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I was, I, I've said this before, that um, seeing Star Wars at age five, that was technically the first princess I saw. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't see Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty and Snow White and think, these are princesses and this is something different. I saw this character and it didn't seem odd to me. It wasn't a reaction to something. It was just like, oh, yeah, this is a character that's holding her own with these guys. She's in a powerful position. She's the most serious one. Out, out of all of them. She's the one, like I've said this before too, she's the one with the most noble goal yeah. in this whole thing, right? Like Luke's is a very personal story and Hans is a personal sort of journey, uh, but she's the only one that's been fighting this whole time for this very specific bigger picture thing. Uh, and she's deadly serious about it, right? You know, th- so yeah, I, I think that's my first princess and that's why it's never occurred to me that there should be something else. The casting of Carrie Fisher was perfect, too, because obviously in the Star Wars area, she's a beautiful woman, mm-hmm. but she had sort of a cuteness to her or a girl next door. Like she took your breath away, but not because she was a supermodel. She took mm-hmm. your breath away because of what she stood for and what she represented. She was sort of the, the, the total package. And I've said this before, it's a little controversial, but... Luke Skywalker was the first ever whiny millennial. <laughs> the whole mo- yes. the whole new hope, when you go back and watch as an adult, you're like, Luke, stop whining. And I can't yeah. believe that I thought he was so cool because when I go back and watch it, he's just like, he's a brat. He just wants yeah. to go and play with his toys and until something bad happens to his aunt and uncle who, by the way, thanks for adopting me because my dad, not a really great guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I went when I watched Luke as an adult, I'm like Man, my my mom and dad were like, don't like this guy too much because he's, he's a little <laughs> bit of a headache for the people that are trying to raise him. <laughs> but it, it is such a it's such an amazing brand, and mm-hmm. the level of exploration of Star Wars, right? Like 
This was made in a time when we had less media. You and I saw New Hope when we were five. We didn't sit around going, I wonder if they're going to make another one. Like, just one day, your mom was like, by the way, that movie you like, they made another one, and we're going to go see it with your brother this Sunday. Right, right. Like, Empire Strikes Back snuck up on me. I had no idea that was going to happen. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't counting that down. I mean, I didn't have a subscription to Force Magazine. I didn't know that was going to be a thing. <laughs> See, I was I was very aware of that coming out, I, and I remember because back then, you know, I was still so I saw Star Wars when I was five. So then, you know, eight I was about eight when uh, Empire comes out, and we were very aware of it. And I was a Muppet fan at the time too, so we were actually getting Muppet news uh, that that you know there's a Muppet in this, there's a puppet in this new uh, thing, and uh, so we were very aware of it. And and my parents obviously, and it was a different time then too. Uh, there wasn't a rush to see it. So it wasn't like, okay, this thing's opening Friday. We're all going to go. People like, didn't do that. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get there eventually. Or we're going to wait till it comes to the cheaper theater. Yeah. And, and then we'll go. Because the movie you know, back so, then was in the cinema for four months, five months, six yeah, months. It exactly. didn't run away because it was like, going to go. It was tiered. So it would be like it would be at these expensive theaters at the beginning. And then it would come to the mall theaters after so many weeks. Things like that. It's a very different time. And I remember I had a friend who saw it right away. And so we were just like, what happened? Um, you know, and he's trying to explain to us. He's like, no, he puts them in the tauntaun. And we're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> What's a tauntaun? Come yeah, on, work exactly. with me here. So I was very excited. Like, I do remember being, like, in that in that time period uh, very specifically and wanting to figure out. Now, the the time between Empire and Jedi was just a killer. That was, a, that was just, like, that thing ended in the worst way possible. And to wait three years to find out what happens to everybody, that was just, yeah. Yeah. It's, insane. So- Sort of the sacred memory that I have attached to the Star Wars franchise is, you know, we don't need to make this about me, but uh, my mom is estranged from me, and I haven't really had much of a relationship with my mom my entire adult mm-hmm. life. And in fact, I haven't spoken to my mom in over um, 18 years now. And I'm I'm good with it. You know, you realize eventually some people just aren't a good fit for you, and it just was right. the way that it worked out. So uh, don't comment below. I'm good. But <laughs> one thing that she did do and the few great memories that I have is my mom showed me two things that I forever love Kiss and Star Wars mm. and she took me to see all the Star Wars movies and when I was very young I loved New Hope and we went one summer and saw it at the drive-in like over 20 something times and we had a bulletin board in our kitchen and we would hang our tickets up we'd go to the drive-in we'd see Star Wars and then we would hang the tickets up on this bulletin board and even though she was estranged, she would always somehow find time to come get me, to take me to Empire, and to take me to Jedi. And so it was a bittersweet moment of being a little boy, missing your mom. She shows up out of nowhere, takes you to go see this rad movie, and then there's insane sadness of Star Wars is over, and so's your mom, because you don't know when you're going to see her again. And I can still remember riding in the back of a car after seeing um, Empire. And looking at the clouds and being like, this looks just like Cloud City. <laughs> so she must have cheapened out and took me to a matinee because <laughs> if it would have been a full price movie, those clouds and the sunset wouldn't have been out there. So I, I did a little bit of forensic. But so just to sort of paint a picture of how emotional yes. Star Wars is to my childhood and mm-hmm. how much it means to me, getting to set foot into the galaxy's edge and getting to walk into it and know that it was made by people 
plus or minus 10 years my age. I feel like the median of this project was done by people in their 30s up to their mid 50s. I feel like that was the window of people that really worked on this land. So I, I felt confident that these were my people making a Star Wars that my generation could enjoy. And I think that right. was successful. Yeah, 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 for sure. It is, it, it's a funny thing because when I did hear that they weren't going to do, like, it's not going to be Hoth, it's not going to be Tatooine, uh, you know, they, I had mixed feelings about that. I still have sort of mixed feelings about that. Um, but uh, it, it almost seems perfect for this to come out at the age that I am, at, at the stage of my career, just... You know, it is nostalgia for us, too. It is nostalgia, but it's also these new films. It's everything. Um, and I feel like we're in the rare spot, a certain generation, that gets to sort of absorb it from, like, this completely 360-degree perspective, right? It's been like, there our whole the life. Right, right. We know the new films. We have the nostalgia. We survived the prequels. Um, we understand So cold in space. <laughs> we understand that in Imagineering and how that works and, and how this story concept makes sense. So... I think we're the perfect age group to sort of appreciate this uh, in all ways possible. So I'm just grateful it happened in the time of my lifetime or that I'm not 75 years old and this is happening, but right, right now. And so to have all the current situation happen where we can't go and enjoy this and see this thing kind of continue to grow on its one-year anniversary is sort of sort of heartbreaking, but maybe it just delays this early part a little longer so we can enjoy the newness of this of this park for a little bit longer. Yeah, getting robbed of the first ever uh, May the 4th in, in Galaxy's Edge is mm-hmm. a little bit heartbreaking, but at least we know that the essential Disneyland employees who are keeping the park alive and healthy, they did get to enjoy it. So somebody very, <laughs> very worthy got to spend that day there, and the, the photo that uh, Rebecca from Disneyland put up of everybody. That that would that really gave me the feels that day because I was really missing the park because I was mm-hmm. so looking forward to the the fandom. You know the fans were going to take that day over and dress up. And I I literally had wrote in my calendar that for May the fourth I'm like I'm going to stay in Galaxy's Edge from mm-hmm. the the day the park opens from the moment the park opens up to the end. And me and my friend were going to go there called the Two Brothers. And we were going to just stay there for the entire day and live a whole day in Galaxy's Edge. That was taken from us. So it was the, the, the year anniversary. Yeah. I was very excited when I learned that this was a new land. And I'll explain mm-hmm. why. Because I know this was a little bit controversial. I tried my hardest. I would have been a good um, juror for this project. Mm-hmm. Because I tried not to be partial of or impartial that I was raised on this brand because it was the right age like Star Wars mm-hmm. was magic for me it revisited me in you know my 20s or, or you know, mid 20s and then it came out again as an adult when I could really enjoy it so yeah Galaxy's Edge like you said it hits us up at all the right times I was excited that it was a new land because I thought about all the lands in Disneyland are themed around something that we're familiar with but until they did Radiator Springs it was a right. new version of that. Like, it was a new right. New Orleans. It, you'd heard of a haunted house before, but you'd never been to a haunted house like this. Right. And right. so I love the idea of new Disneyland, new Star Wars. And it, it, it dawned on me one day. I was like, oh, I get it. These will be Star Wars memories that are specific to going to Disneyland. 
mm-hmm. and it won't be like stepping into a movie and judging that it's not cold and hot or, you know, it's a cold day. I'm like, oh, I thought we were a tattooing. And why is it, you know, 45 degrees a day in California? Right. But this would be the Star Wars that I went to and I visited. And I got very hyped on that. One of the things I was disappointed about is I thought that there would be more native citizens of the galaxy's edge. Yes. Because they did overhype the interactiveness that, you know, you will be able to go into a shop and cut a deal with a merchant based on your right. credits. The immersiveness, yes. Yes. And for whatever reason, they went cold on that. They And I kept thinking, well, maybe Rise of the Resistance rollout will be when that matures. Or maybe they're just holding back some tricks so that, you know, in year two, there's a new thing to, 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 to deploy. And maybe that still is the plan, and who knows, because we're 100 days on pause. But I was excited about that idea of getting new Star Wars, and and I really felt like the sweet payoff from that was the first time that you visited. And I've never walked so energetic but slow at the same time because I knew you only get one first time to walk to the galaxy's edge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember texting you because you got to go in early before I did. And I remember talking to you and saying, my first trip there feels like going to Paris for the first mm-hmm. It's like so beautiful, so exotic that I'll never forget the way that it looked the first time I went there. I can close my eyes and I can be there right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, I think that's a good, I think that's a good analogy um, in that this is a new area. You don't, you don't know Paris. You might, you've seen the Eiffel Tower. We've seen the Millennium Falcon, but now you're standing in front of it and it's a different feeling, but you're not in this you're not in this thing where you're constantly looking at everything going like, oh, well, I thought that would have been bigger than I saw in the movie. Or, gee, it doesn't look like, that doesn't look right. Or the scale is off on that. So I, I, I agree with you. I, I think this is how they had to do it, right? There's no other way to do it. Otherwise, it would have been Universal Studios. It would have been like, oh, you're coming into a movie set. and Here's a great photo op. And then it's done. And, and it would be dead in like 10 years because everyone did that Hoth photo op and now no one wants to do it anymore Um, so I agree there's no other way for them to do it and I agree also with you that it needs a little bit more and I think we're going in that direction for for sure sure. yeah Um, and and that's what's so sort of heartbreaking about being on pause right now Um, but yes I I agree it's it's how they had to tell the story it was the story they had to tell Um, regardless of how much I want to ride a Tauntaun or go into the specific uh, Tatooine canteen. Um, that's the fun challenge of it, is sort of making these feel Star Wars without being so specific to the original trilogy. I feel like with a very minimal budget, I could bring the land back to life. <laughs> yeah. Because if there was a, a, a bounty hunter, per se, that just at random times hung out in one of the back booths of the canteen, Mm-hmm. And he was just the bounty hunter of that land. And you're like, oh, Gorgon Aki is over there. Like, don't don't look at Gorgon Aki. He's crazy. You know, like that would just add <laughs> a layer to that. Or just like sort of like a, yes. a like a slimy shopkeeper who's always trying to sell it. You know, just like I don't think that they would have to overthink it too much. Because the, the backdrop is phenomenal. And let's talk about the design of it real quick. Okay. Hollywood Studios in Orlando has the Orlando benefit of unlimited real estate. They can right, do whatever they right. want to out there. 
So this whole thing had to be designed to fit inside of Disneyland because Disneyland is not unlimited real estate. So when you look at the parcel of land they had, they decided these are backstage buildings that we can terminate. We can move these features of our operation elsewhere or off site. Mm -hmm. So then they had this weird slice of land. We know we've got Critter Country over uh, to, to this end. We know we've got Toontown over to this end. We have the Rivers of America and we have our backstage. But we're right up against Disney Way. Mickey and Friends parking structure, never moving, never going anywhere. Right. So we had a very, very, very solid cutout of where this had to fit. Mm-hmm. The idea of the petrified forest space tree trunks, <laughs> that blending in to the rivers of America and seeming seamless is absolutely genius. And you complain there's not enough rides there, there's nothing to do for kids. I'll give you that. But you've got to at least admit that this, the, the, the base of this thing, the nuts and bolts, the chassis, if you will, is built to go 100 years. Yes. So whatever is in the shops, do I think that the Joy Depot will always be there? Probably because it's quite profitable. But do I think that uh, Sack's or uh, Cat Saka's kettle will always be there? Nah. Do I want the milk stand to go away? Yeah. But that bare bones of it is absolutely flawless, the way that they fit it in. Such a demanding piece of land. Oh, definitely. Uh, and that the... the, the the amazing thing to me is it does not feel cramped at all. It, no. it is the most wide open land in Disneyland. I, I think, you know, so there's there's plenty of space there for them to do other stuff, which I'm, I'm sure is coming. What, what to your point, what, what I'm interested to see is, look, you, you look at, and it's timing on this, you look at something like uh, Baby Yoda or the child from The Mandalorian, right? Uh, it's Huge. not Frankenstein. It's Frankenstein's <laughs> monster. And that is not baby yoda it's a child right. from the yoda species thank you for clarifying um i i'm excited to see how that plays out in this thing this is a this is the first like knock it out of the park hit for them within the new star wars and how does that play out in uh in, in disney like um in the land not so much in merchandise because that's easy and they definitely know how to do that but how do they take that and now apply that to Galaxy's Edge? Is is that a walk around? Do we have some other Mandalorian? You know, maybe it's not him because the timing's not right or something. Um, but I, I'm so excited to see how that plays because I think that really is going to be the future of this land, right? It, it's it, it to completely convince us, like, stop worrying about nostalgia and the old films. We're, we're moving forward here. And look, you love Baby Yoda. You're very excited about Baby Yoda. So here's how we're going to do it, you know? And um, I, I think that was my first thought of like, okay, this is where we're headed. Like, yeah. it, it's not like uh, Rise of Skywalker, you know, whatever your feelings are on that film. Oh, I have um, some. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then you see Baby Yoda, it's very exciting. And if they put something in Galaxy's Edge, how do they sort of cash in on that in this very, you know, it has to go there, right? Yeah. So well, I want to see what they do with that. If you recall, right before the park shut down, they just put merch carts at the tunnel, right. which right. was so right. on Disney. <laughs> and, you know, if I was one of the people that, you know, spent an agony, you know, just agony for a decade working on that thing, and I saw they pushed a cart in the tunnel, but are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. 
Baby Yoda fits into the timeline, though, mm-hmm. because at the time of the TV show, Mandalorian, he's like 50 years old. He's still a baby. Right, Add another 50 right. years on, he's still a baby. So yeah. technically, you could throw the child anywhere you want in there, but like time-specific. But I do think they're going to have to loosen up with that timeline because, one, these movies are good, but I don't know that they last the time. And I don't know if there's enough side stories for them to tell in there. And I think if they do it slowly and transitional, there'll be a couple of guys with backpacks that go, well, actually, I thought this was supposed to be in this 50-year period. Yes. But that will dissipate, and that will go away once it's so great. And you take something like Smuggler's Run, it'd be very easy for us to talk to the Mandalorian. Like, he comes in on the screen and goes, I've actually got a second deal that I want you to run, but don't tell Hondo. You know, there's, like, so many ways that that could work in there. But, dude, maybe Yoda meet and greet. I'm already in line. Yep, exactly, exactly. If they want to get people a way to be like, don't worry about your health, just come out to Disneyland, Tell them that the child's doing meet and greets and the line my kids have to see the child. Like, this, the scarcity of Christmas merch showed the absolute cultural phenomenon this character is. So I think that, I believe, one of my predictions today, we look at the first year, I think two big things are going to change. Hmm. I think eventually they'll buckle and they'll play music in the land, even though I don't want that to happen. Right. I think eventually they will buckle and they will loosen up on the timeline but I don't know that we'll ever see you know those original characters roaming around I don't know that we'll ever see like a Darth Vader cruising around but I feel like they will adjust it to market new things hmm. just a thought yeah um, I, I, I agree I agree I, I don't know how that will happen I mean they're very conscious of this stuff obviously it's not like they're being all loosey goosey about it and and I think once we lose, what happens to Tomorrowland, I think, will be key in how a lot of this plays out. Because right now they can shove all of that contemporary stuff into Launch Bay and just say, oh, yeah, go meet Darth Vader there. Oh, oh. we're not talking about Launch Bay today? Because <laughs> that's my favorite Star Wars land. At, Let's save at, that for a whole episode. I think. Oh, <laughs> don't get me started. When I talk about Launch Bay, I never stop. <laughs> So I'm curious to see how that starts working out. Because eventually, you know, and now we know that things could be on pause right now or things are going to be delayed. Uh, but seeing what happens tomorrow and, and Star Tours and, and all of that stuff, I think that sort of plays into how they treat. Because right now, Tomorrowland is like a nostalgia land. Right. It's not It's not future land. It's, uh, it's where we're parking old Star Wars uh, because it doesn't make sense. You can't have what they but I think you're right. They, they will figure out some way. And whether that is directly addressed in some future TV series or some alternate timeline or, like, something else, um, we'll see. We'll How see. would you but feel I, yeah. if, if a future movie or a live-action TV show, how would you feel if you were watching it and you didn't know this was going to happen, if they were able to keep this from a secret? What if Mandalorian goes on a mission and you go... Holy smokes. He's walking through the Black Spire out there. Hmm. Like, if yeah. they actually filmed something on this amazing set that they built and brought a storyline in there, even if it was just one scene or one character lives there, man, oh man, would that get me going. And to know that it was filmed in there, you know, let's be honest, they're not going to film in Florida, they're going to film in California because of right. unions and proximity. So 
to know that a scene was filmed in our Star Wars. Because I, I feel I feel like I have a lot of ownership of Galaxy's Edge. Like, I've gone there more than anyone. You and I have spent lots of quiet nights in there because mm-hmm. the first year was a little bit weird for people to figure out what was going on. And you and I were just like, it's not going to be like this forever. So we would just right. go in there and hang out. And like, you and I would, like, shut down other part part like, Hey man, we got ten minutes. We should at least do a rip through the galaxy's edge, <laughs> right? So I have a lot of personal ownership to this part of Star Wars because I've spent amazing evenings there with my best friends, and mm-hmm. that's where I got to ride the Millennium Falcon for the first time. And you better believe I cried when I got on that Millennium Falcon for the first time. And I wasn't I wasn't embarrassed. I'm like these are tears of pride. Go over to yes. YouTube. You can watch me cry when I get on Rise of the Resistance the first time. Like when I right. stepped into the room and saw the stormtroopers and I was living in something that I have loved my whole life, hell yeah, I got choked up and I was proud to get choked up. If you can't be alive during those moments, don't go to Disneyland. Right, right. So that's where I think my... Seeing the Mandalorian, because I think the Mandalorian, it's sort of a key thing right now, I think, for Star Wars. Do you like Mandalorian? I love Mandalorian. It is my favorite post-original trilogy Star Wars proper. Oh, by far. Okay. But it does play a lot on our love of the original trilogy. Um, It doesn't harken... It does... It's one of the first new things that references the prequels, right? Like, we get some... Yeah, like, it, it addresses that that timeline exists, whereas these new Star Wars films don't really talk about it. Um, so I think this is very pivotal in moving forward and, and how it sort of plays out. And, and it's, it's a positive thing. Because if we were just going by this latest trilogy of films, I would be a little more like, eee, I, I don't know if this is, you know, I am not feeling the connection that I do to some of the I think I'm more connected even to the prequels than I am Ooh, uh, to these, I, hey, these last three films. Yeah. <laughs> if Favaro um, takes the Kevin Foggy spot, right? if he becomes the, the captain... And steers Star Wars like Kevin has with Marvel. Mm-hmm. We're in good shape. But I think even more than just uh, a director or a style or an approach is the um, that they mapped out these phases, right? Yeah. Uh, I think they need to do something like that for Star Wars so that these all make sense. We're not trying to jimmy-rig these things to make sense right. after the fact. We know that this is referencing this and this comes from this and we'll talk about this in the third film, but not until then. Um, and like we're not that's gonna, what I want to see. And we're not going to react to the fans. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a plan, and we're going to stick to it. And if the movie gets trashed, we all make a lot of money. We can put on our big boy pants. We can go to work. We can make the next film. This yeah. trying to make everybody happy, no one wins when that's how you create artwork. You yes, know, you can't have, can't have too many cooks in the kitchen because it, it never works out. It, 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 you know, design by committee never gets the best piece. So I think... With someone like Favaro having such a successful career and then giving him a little sliver and approving it and, you know, saying, hey, guy with the cowboy hat on, am I good? Guy with the cowboy hat on is like, you're good. And then they just go and make it. I think that's where it goes for the future. 
Right, exactly. And I think what Mandalorian does so well, like we said before, is, is tone. It's the tone is right. It's and perfect. so I will forgive so many other missteps or things that feel a little corny or like, eh, that wasn't the best episode. But um, it still feels consistent with, with Star Wars, I think. And I think that's the thing they got to really drill down on. And if they get that right, anything else they do, any other story they tell will, will feel good. With Mandalorian... The music is perfect. Mm-hmm. And this is a nerdy thing, but the end credits with the concept art, even if that concept art is made retroactively, yep. I cannot... I mean, I'm always sad when it's over with. And by the way, this is a TV show that I set my alarm for. I get up at like 5.30 in the morning, go and watch it in the living room with yep. Bluetooth headphones on so I don't disturb my wife or wake up any of my <laughs> million animals. And this is something that I soak in. And I go to bed Thursday night going, I can't believe I'm going to wake up and consume new Star Wars in the privacy of my own home without worrying about the person next to me being a mouth breather or a a mouth open popcorn eater. (laughs) That's right. Have you been watching the the gallery, the Disney Plus show about the behind the scenes for Mandalorian? I have not yet. Oh. Oh. I have been fully committed to watching all news all the time and that might be why i'm going crazy there you go oh it's a it's a it's great it's fantastic um it's i think it's just sort of filling a void because we love that show so much and we want more episodes um but i will say the one on technology where they talk about how they make this thing it really is um it's the future of everything, it feels like, when you watch it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. Lucky for you. You've got all these. I think there's like four or five episodes already out out of eight or something. And they're great. They're fantastic. Yeah, I've kind of been holding off on some things. So whenever I really need something to watch or yeah. when I feel like I've got all of my concentration back in my slow brain. Let me ask you this, Jared. Yeah. We've sort of given our review of the philosophy of the land, what it means to us individually. Now that the audience knows the stakes, let's actually look at the first year of the Galaxy's Edge. So Mm. let's start at the beginning. The first day that you walked in, what was the one thing that just completely blew your expectations? There were a couple of things. What were some of those initial feelings where you're like, this part of it is way bigger, better, grandiose than what I had imagined? Um, so the main thing, like, so the first time I went in... Oh, what, we went, how did you get in the first time? <laughs> we went in, not the... Um, I went in on a Club 33 preview. Oh, night. how very fascinating. Fortunate. Wow, yes, that must be very, nice. <laughs> uh, but we did go in on the sort of um, Adventureland, not Adventureland, uh, Frontierland side of it. Um, we didn't go in the Hungry Bear side. Yeah, you guys went um, in the main entrance. Yes, yeah. So we did come in into that building, which is, uh, it has its own charm. It, it, it sort of shoves you in the middle of the story, I think, like we've discussed. But, um, you know, at that point, you don't you don't realize that until you see the other entrances. Um, it's, it's hard to, like, to see that Falcon for the first time, uh, I, I think, was the most impactful thing for me. Granted, the overall size of the land just took me by surprise. I'm like, I, I did not think they were working in this big of a template. Um, so I think you didn't that expect was the, things the to first be one to one. Yeah, the scale was just nuts. Um, so yeah, like I'm immediately 
taken in by that and you're you're definitely in a land and and you know everything at the first day is so overwhelming oh we got to get in line we got to do this we got to try to get in the bar and get the blue milk and and all that stuff but to see that falcon i think that was the thing that sort of just sort of brought it all in for me like it's the perspective it's the heart of the thing at the time um so i think that was probably the most impactful thing for me for sure which is not a great answer but for a, for an old school Star Wars fan, like I think it can't help but be the most impactful thing right out of the gate. Did you see the Falcon for the first time? Did you walk up to it through that keyhole next to Oga's Cantina, or did you see it from the balcony over next to uh, Ronto Rosters and Docking Bay Seven? So no, we came up through it by like uh, Oga's Cantina. I, mm. I think we I, I think we came around actually. I don't think we went actually straight into that thing because the, the, when they let us all in at once, it's just this packed group of people so i think we kind of went off to the left and came around it sort of up by the um like we didn't come obviously from hungry bear entrance but we came around like savvy's workshop like that way and went up the stairs and then came down the so stairs. you kind of looped around and saw it yeah yeah yeah. so um but still a great that's a great way to come to it because you don't see that thing until you're right there you, that's um, when you realize that doc's circular building is mm-hmm. designed perfectly to keep that out of your eye line and sight line until you get up to the top of those stairs because you're right. you're low i think when i saw the falcon for the first time because it is such an amazing experience i was coming through the store mm-hmm. and when you get to the end of ronto roasters and you come out and you know i was it wasn't like i walked up a stair and came around a corner like you and there it is right like, i just all of a sudden i could look through the keyhole and I could just yep. see there's a Millennium Falcon parked out there and because I was working my way to it and the way that the light was hitting it at the end of the day it just felt like it had landed there and at any moment it could do that kind of wonky takeoff that it does Yeah, and then boom we're off yeah. we're out of here for me on opening day the, the couple things that blew me away I was very happy to see that the land had graded these are really nerdy things yeah. When I see that they had purposefully put a hill there. Like, I remember when we were walking up past the resistance area. I mm-hmm. love the creative idea of that those little pop-up shops were like in, you know, like a, a little roll-out cargo uh, container that they're selling merch to join the resistance. Mm-hmm. So we, we came up to the, the stores, the bazaars, I like to call it. The scale blew me away, and that was that first fork in the road. And I said, mm-hmm. yes. This isn't going to be like Cars Land, where it's Route 66 and Cross Street, and it's right. just all very flat. That first fork in the road showed me that they were grading the land, and mm-hmm. this was all about discovery. And so once I kind of did everything, I just told everybody in my group, I'm like, I just need to do a solo, like, soul journey. And I just walked the outer perimeter of it, and the number one thing I went away from is just like, it's so big. It's so twisty and turny. It is truly a place where epic adventures can happen. And it it Mm -hmm. felt like they had thought about the idea of making it to where you couldn't see it all at once. And I'd I'd started flirting on this show saying that this is going to be like the next New Orleans Square. And I really did leave going. I predicted that quite accurately because it does feel like a way more large scale, more complex New Orleans Square. But... The beautiful thing about New Orleans Square is when you're walking around on Royal Street or whatever, it, it's like, what's going on over there? You could you could miss your friends because they're a, a fork around the road. So to me, the overall layout just blew me away. 
and I couldn't wait to get back and learn that layout by heart and walk yeah. it and learn it and go building by building and pocket by pocket. So I really left with sort of this oddity that most people, I don't know if they notice it, but I was just like, man, they graded the land. They made it feel so real. And I think that's what gave me this cachet in my mind of the way that the, the sunset hit the rocks and the way that, you know, like I just seen it lit up for the first time. Blew me away. Oh, for sure. No, it was like, and I remember being conscious of this on that first visit. It's like when you get, um, like if you really love, I don't know, a certain kind of food that's hard to get, right? So someone goes out of town, they come back and they bring you this thing. It's like, oh, it's the best chocolate from wherever. You're talking about out-of-market snacks. I love (laughs) out-of-market snacks. You don't eat that thing all that much, right? You sort of like, you control it. You're like, okay, one a day or maybe special occasions or things like that. That's how I felt about this. I I didn't want to absorb it too quickly. I didn't want to be like, let's hit every shop and, and just take it all in. It's like... This is the only time you're not going to know yes. where this little path takes you and enjoy that. Like, take it in. And, and I remember thinking, like, for as much as it's sort of supposed to be sort of an aged and weathered land like Star Wars is, I'm um, thinking, like, this is just gorgeous. Like, there was nothing gimmicky about it. There was nothing jokey about it. It was very sincere in its sort of presentation. You know, it doesn't look like any planet that we've seen, though there are elements of very much... It's familiar. Yeah, Star Wars stuff. Um, But they didn't... They weren't being cutesy about it. They weren't, like, jokey about it. It was real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, And no... No signs uh, for gift shops. No, no display windows of like here's what's inside. I just love that aspect of it, and that is so. You know, we knew about this stuff going into it. We knew some of the design concepts for this, but um, and I was skeptical. But then you see it there, and like, yeah, this makes complete sense, and it's beautiful. I, I explained it to people that it was one of the rare moments in your life where you have big expectations for something, mm-hmm. and it doesn't let you down. It, right. it delivered and went above and beyond. And you and I went into there, not on the same night, of course. Right. We went in there with <laughs> high, high expectations. Yes. Let me ask you this. Was the ultimate criticism of the land and those that perceive some of its failure, hmm. did they make this land too smart? Did they shoot for such a high bar and such a, a high, like, theme park intelligence for lack of better terms there were no signs it it everything that people would complain about it i was like but that's why i love it you know like mm-hmm. if there was like um a ride like mater's junkyard where you could get on land speeders and spin around in circles right 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 i'd be like this is trash mm-hmm. He's like that like i love that it feels like you're in the world and everything that it took to make that feel natural, a lot of people criticized or just didn't understand. Like, no land music. Um, the only thing that you can do there is spend money. Well, that's if you don't like walking around and looking at something that's amazing and just absorbing this culture and this fantasy that I've had for 40-odd years of wanting to be inside of Star Wars. So do you think that maybe they went too smart? Um, uh Yes. Uh, Does it pain you to say that? (laughs) But rightfully so, right? Like, I I think um, if they had done anything else, it would have been too disposable. It would have been, people would have been done with it 
too quickly. Um, I think this this is the only way to have this thing be able to grow. And they're looking towards the future. They're not looking at celebrating the past of this thing as if here's the things you've been wanting since you were five. Though the Falcon sort of satisfies some of that stuff. Um, they're saying like these are this is going to be something. And yeah. I think that's what's important for Disneyland is it's and it it is sort of a different take than even something like Frontierland or Adventureland, which is still sort of steeped in nostalgia and in a different time. Sure. Um, they're not they're not updating. Star Wars feels like we're looking towards the future and, and this thing's going to develop into something else because there's still a lot of Star Wars ahead of us. Um, so I think I think they had no choice but to do this. And they probably I'm I'm sure they must have suspected it to some degree, like, okay, this isn't going to hit every nostalgia button, but trust us. You know, like, w- w- this is necessary if we're going to do all these other things we're going to do in the future. I think with a trained eye, a trained Disney eye, you can look at the land and see its potential of mm-hmm. some of these things, which seem rad today, might be a very sophisticated placeholder. Like the X-Wing and the A-Wing that sits across from Rise. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily always have to be there. Uh, on a budget, they were able to make those look a little bit more modelish than the Millennium Falcon looks real. Like it looks yeah. like it could take <laughs> it off does. in a second's notice. It does. The other vehicles look a little bit more modelish. Like they look like one big mold that they painted, whereas the Millennium Falcon looks like they fabricated every little piece. It looks like the only thing it doesn't have in it is the engine until you walk behind it, and then it looks like it also has the engine. So I think with a trained eye, you can see. There's room to expand there without making it too blatantly obvious. Um, I think that we will see a beautiful evolution of this coming to mm-hmm. its own. And, you know, the rest of the Disneyland has 65 years, you know, going to the oldest spots to build the story. I think a lot of people were childish to think that it would have that kind of culture when it was just a baby. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. literally just turning one right now. And I think that goes again to the love of the brand. And that's a dangerous thing because everybody loves something and they want it a a very specific way. But the things that I loved about it were the things that other people criticized about it. And it just Mm. made me fearful that the next time they have a big budget or when they develop this land, that they would get scared and they wouldn't go this far again because it is a work of art. And, um, I just think not everybody likes art. Well, I think it's what distinguishes it from every other theme park in the world. Every other non-Disney theme park. Uh, we, you know, This is not Universal Studios. This is not even California Adventure to some degree. Um, like, I think they have to think very seriously about longevity for this thing and how they can expand it and grow it and, and, and really think towards the future and not just sort of like, what does everybody want right now? Um, and I, I think... Um, you know, like you, you look at even in California Adventure to a certain degree. Like it's it's my concern about Marvel Land, and, and it's because I don't have the same uh, Avengers Campus, please. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's I don't have a connection to Marvel as I do Star Wars, and but again, Marvel Land I think is looking towards the future uh, and not trying to um, so much base itself on this is that film you love and this is that exact scene but how can this exist 20 years from now and still make sense and not just be that 
that old-fashioned thing. Sort of like what they did with Indiana Jones and even Star Tours. They didn't say this is the Empire Strikes Back ride. This thing is expandable, right? And so now it makes it, it still makes sense that you'd be going to Star, uh, Star Tours with these new films. Um, as opposed to saying, like, well, this is stuck in a timeline that existed only in this period. So, and by the way, it, Star yeah. Tours is still fun. Yeah, oh, it's great. <laughs> I it's love great. that ride. Yeah, so I think that's the thinking that we're getting. So if you said, oh, well, why did we get Star Tours? We should have had a speeder bike ride. No, I think ultimately we're seeing that Star Tours was the right way to sure. go for this thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that when you put this much money into something, you leave it open-ended so that it can evolve and it can bend with the times. And you don't want to go so definitive in what your singular vision is so that, say, something like Baby Yoda comes out that's a cultural phenomenon. You're like, well, we have this thing that would make us a bazillion dollars, but we can't do it because it's the wrong time period. So let's pack it up. (laughs) It just wouldn't, you know, you go go over kids, go over Sleeping Beauty's Castle and meet Baby Yoda between three and five. Like, it just would not work. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that the incredibly smart and sophisticated merchandise rollout, mm. nothing says Star Wars, these are products that are made by the locals. I love that idea so much. Mm-hmm. The toy store in particular is is very, very well done. Um, the Tordarian toy maker. Mm-hmm. But it, it falls flat in a way to where there's no characters in the land, so we've never actually got to meet the toy maker. You know, it's not like you see him standing out front sometime. Right. Or there's that, um, across from like the creature stall or the creature stand, there's like that faux stand. Right. Why not just have a guy with like three eyes, like just sawing a wood in half all day? Like, oh, you can't get away from here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, the fact that only one of the shops actually has a merchant, which is Doc Ondor. Mm-hmm. That shop feels like it's a forever piece. But the other stores, I love the idea of it because they didn't go the whole way. It falls a little bit flat. So my question for you is, will we see those shops adjust to more, I don't want to say generic merchandise, but more core Star Wars merchandise? That's a good question. Uh, It's one of those things where I think, like, over time, everybody relaxes about the timeline about the specifics about this was the original concept I think we've seen that over and over again in the park that eventually that thing kind of just it softens it doesn't go away it settles just, in yeah, yeah yeah so like people you know right now and and it is the new era of like this is sort of the first land to open under the scrutiny of the new era of social media, where everyone who has an opinion can say that opinion and can get picked up by uh, every news outlet just to say, because people want to say, people wanted to say, Star Wars land is a failure. They wanted to say that. Uh, and so they're looking for any way that they can just because of the amount of money, the buildup. If people are excited about this thing, then the goal is to take it down. If people hated something before it opened, the goal would say, hey, this is actually pretty good, right? Like, it's always that sort of counter thing. So I think it's 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 a difficult time and they just, are, just have to, like, not listen to a lot of that and, 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 and move forward. So I think, you know, it's not that we don't see Star Wars merchandise throughout the park. We do. It's, it's in every store, I think. I don't think there's a store that, that doesn't have some sort of element of Star Wars in it. Um, and I think that that's fine for everything. I think to keep that, like, the Toy Store part is sort of, it's it's almost like a, 
it's just part of the atmosphere more than it is a store, right? Like it's right. just helping establish the storyline. So you can throw some of that stuff because the Doc Ondor stuff, the, the, the store itself is amazing, but they still do have some pretty merchandising things in there. It, it seems like Doc's store moves some units. Like you can go in there and there's a line and the lightsaber business has gone way past my expectations. Like yeah. <laughs> they've really crushed a lot of lightsabers and like I've held yours and it is an impressive feature merchant piece yeah. of merchandise. And I love Disneyland more than anybody and I'm never hesitant to throw money at them. But I just think what do I do with that once I get home? That's mm. the, it's not the two hundred dollars that's stopping me. It's like what do I actually do with it? Um so I feel like the more experiential stores are really in there for the long run. But I, when I go through the actual shops, it just sometimes it's pretty vacant in there. And I can appreciate that they're using places where they can make money to further tell the story. I just don't know how long their patients are on these are underperforming stores because if Disney knows how to do anything, they know how to crush some merchandise. Yeah, I think... I think um the more, I don't mean this cynically, but, but the more gimmicky they can get with it, where it's like, okay, this isn't what you were expecting in a store. This isn't a t-shirt that says 2020 on it and has all the core characters on it because we do that every year. Like if they can get gimmicky and do some things where it's like, oh, you have to go into you know, mm. this store to get that thing that everybody wants. I think they have to do more of that in there. So it's not like, let's just keep this core stuff that we started with and keep doing these sort of like faux stuffed animals and stuff like that. But if there was some, oh, you know, that thing you saw in The Mandalorian, we're only selling it here in this thing. So you have to come here and get this thing. I think there's going to need to be more of that sort of creative uh, merchandise and then they can obviously jack the price up because this is not just a t-shirt this is that t-shirt um, so it's $50 instead of $30 um, I think because those stores are so small too and they're not built for capacity they're not built for someone to queue up you know 100 people to wait for this Funko Pop that comes out we'll push that stuff out but save this area for some very specific very limited Star Wars merchandise that's different, fits in the storyline, but that people still want. And, and, and Disney people are so prone to this collecting thing. You could you could probably put anything out and just say, like, there's only a thousand of these, you guys, and, and, and we're only selling it this weekend, and now you've got people that are, that are interested. I think it's going to take that kind of approach. I think you're right, because when you think about the Millennium Falcon bucket that you can either get popcorn or french fries. Who doesn't want to eat french fries out of a Millennium Falcon? Exactly. People went crazy for those and everybody was posting a photo of their Millennium Falcon and you know it came with like that weird strap so you were like wearing it like it was a keytar and I think <laughs> I think you've just predicted how that stays chic and once again interactive like imagine because one of the fun things about fandom is being around other fans. So if you have to wait in line for three hours to get something at Galaxy's Edge, what a better place to be standing in line to get something is mm -hmm. in this place that we love. Like, it unfortunately looks like you and I are going to be robbed of that Star Wars night that we have tickets for. <laughs> yeah, which I, think so. I could not wait to be in Galaxy's Edge with just Star Wars fans. Uh, costumes were encouraged. They were going to do a fireworks show that night and play music. Who would thought? It it was going to be so awesome with all of the the celebration fans in town. 
it was going to be a a really epic night. It had the buildings of being something super um, magical, and you know, obviously that's gone. When you spent time in there and you've got to walk around, mm. now that it's sort of settled in, you know, we love the quiet spots. Sure. We love the the off the beaten path. Where's your favorite spot in the Galaxy's Edge after a year? Like, what's the spot that's sort of become your hang? Hmm. I, you know, we we often sit right there, uh, sort of by Doc on our shop across, uh, by uh, by the restaurant, and, and where you can kind of oversee Millennium Falcon. I think Picnic that's table. The, yeah, like that's the the best spot because you kind of can see all the different areas. You know, um, Rides of the Resistance has shifted a lot of the attention back that way. It's much more crowded over there. Yeah. It's not necessarily more to see, but still, you've got people who are trying to take a photo with that Millennium Falcon. Um, you, you can kind of see where the cantina is and how crazy that's going. And I think, like, right there feels like kind of the heart of it to me. And if they put some shows there and all those bridges and balconies that we've talked about, like, make that the bustling hub of this thing like you want to you want to stay clear so people can get to the things that they need to get right like like don't put anything back by rise right now that's it's too crazy over there and you, you don't want to draw people over there but keep people in that falcon area where it's sort of like the city center and and give them the show like just to see characters come out or walk across something like that it's very exciting right there so i think that's been one of my favorite spots and i think that's where you get a sense of if the land is crowded right now or not. If that yeah. area is not crowded, then you know it's kind of a quiet night in the park. Yeah, those picnic tables that sit right outside Docking Bay 7, that was going to be my pick of, we've spent some really awesome nights hanging out there, and you're right, like, if it's busy, you actually, because it's designed so perfectly, that when it fills up with people, it actually lends into the character of the land, and you feel like yes. you're in this hustling, bustling, bizarre, and you know, and Disneyland brings in all kinds of different people from all over, and, it, and mm-hmm. some people are dressed up, some people aren't, so it, it does create such a great vibe. But on the flip side, if it's quiet and you can really tune your ears into the soundscape around you, yeah, that also feels amazing hanging out there. And, and you're right, that is the city center because kind of all the roads lead into that, that Falcon area. Yeah. And, and, you know, you and I have been able to detect a potential of four different stages around that cul-de-sac thing. And I, I just beg of them, please start doing those shows up on the, the balcony to when the, yeah. the park opens back up. Because I've only seen those. There was one that they did with, you know, pyro and multiple characters. And they did it above the service shop, you know, the land speeders mm-hmm. that did it on the preview night so there's copies of it on youtube and i'm like that thing should just randomly happen two or three times a night no 715 because it'll flood out the land and everybody will be standing there at five o'clock waiting for it Mm -hmm. but if all of a sudden you hear that noise or like something that you know a flare goes off like oh it's happening yes we're gonna get to see it they built such beautiful stages i i would really love to sit on a meeting to know what they're waiting for to green light that next level of the project or maybe that's just forward thinking of like we'll need stages eventually let's just build them and years later we'll, we'll design shows for them i mean that could be a possibility too i like the idea too of it being sort of random that it's that it's not a you know that, that this isn't like oh if you want to see the show you got to stand here starting at noon so that you can catch the two o'clock 
Like I like this idea that you don't know when it's gonna happen, that these things will just sort of randomly happen, that makes you want to sort of hang out in the area or, you know, uh, Disney's so great about creating those myths around, well, I hear it happens at noon, so if you yeah. want to see it, just sort of hang out over here or something like that. Like, I love that idea. I think that fits into the sort of storytelling of this thing, that it's not this planned out uh, parade that comes through every now and then, but it makes it more feel like uh, like like a living, breathing More thing. Star Wars, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you see, like, when Chewbacca comes out, it causes such a stir. Like, it's just a walk-around character. So if they kind of just take that concept and, and go forward with that, and they've done really well with the stuff that they've done, the Kylo Ren stuff and the Stormtroopers, it's a lot of fun to see, and it, it, it gets sort of like, um, you know, it wakes up whatever area they happen to be coming through. People get very excited, and they want to be sort of told off by the Stormtroopers and things like that. Like, play into that as much as you can and, and, and give us more of that. Um, I, I would love to see how they can do, like, a creative meet and greet that's not your general meet and greet because you know like Chewie isn't a meet and greet he doesn't no. stand in one spot and you do but how can they play with that how can they take that even further and you know there's so many costume characters like masks in Star Wars world that they could you know they don't have to get people that look like these famous actors they just put these people in these rubber suits and have them walk around even if it's just a Greedo creature Let's see more of that happening or walking around or or create things like in Olga's Cantina where you can't sit there, but like you said, there's a plant there that comes out every now and then or there's an animatronic or something that like uh, that's walking around higher up, that kind of stuff. I think more than trying to do a billion dollar attraction, uh, third attraction or something like that, do more of that stuff. People are going to go nuts for that. Yeah, I don't think it would take a super huge budget to bring it to life because just if occasionally, you know, pilots or stormtroopers or someone who looks like a, a Greedo, if they just walked across one of those overhead bridges, just like they're going from building to building um, as part of their job or above uh, Savits, there's those windows that have those cloth, um, yeah. you know, yeah. blind there's no concrete or glass there so that says right. to me obviously that that could pull apart and there could be a show there i would just be curious to know if this was just built looking into the next 50 years or yeah. if there's something that they're working toward but i think the doc Andor is the most successful the den of antiquities is the most successful shot because it has that full 360 vibe to it i and still kind of want a, a restaurant that's on level with Doc Ondors. Like, we have sort of the fast service stuff, but I would love to see a Blue Bayou or something that's a, a more immersive restaurant where you get to spend a little more time in there. And You know where that was going to be, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, let's see some version of that as a future expansion, I think. Like, anything to kind of keep you in that area a little bit longer and stuff. Um, I, I would love I would love to see that. If, if you had an immersive dinner that you had to book reservations for and you know you got a waitress that had those two things that comes off of her head <laughs> right twilik twilik something it, yeah i mean that would just be amazing even if it was just a sophisticated chuck e cheese with a weirdo band plays every That's 15 exactly 20 right. minutes yeah. it, it would be phenomenal and i think that we'll see those things come but as we know the rollout of this has been interesting some might say mm -hmm. sloppy some might say calculated i guess it would depend on your opinion do you think that they did the right idea of releasing the land last June without the anchor attraction there and then in January 
Drop and Rise of the Resistance? Or do you think they should have just waited and just given it to everybody all at once? No, I mean, I think to me, like, even already now, it doesn't, like, it feels like history. Um, like, I, I don't look at that and say, like, oh, my gosh, we had to wait so long for that second ride to come on. And, like, that was an answer to some problem that they were having. Like, now it seems like, yeah, that, that makes complete sense that they would have, here's, you know, here's the majority. The land is open. And another attraction's coming a few months later, which seemed sort of excruciating at the time. But now it just seems like it's this complete land. Uh, and now we just sort of plus the heck out of this thing. So, um I think it's better to open it, get like take some of the, the, the panic of getting to this thing out of the way, uh, you know, like satisfy that because people will just come for all of this very basic stuff at the beginning, um, and then it just it can just exist. It doesn't yeah. have to live up to this thing constantly, or that everyone gets everything out of their system right away and they said like that's it. Oh well, you know, at least this was like this is amazing and we've got more coming. Um, it's like Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. I think that's really, <laughs> you know, in the end, that's about the, the difference in time from those two attractions being fully uh, operational. It was fun getting excited about just going in the land and mm-hmm. then getting excited about the second attraction coming. And it's interesting, like, I think that they totally did it right. And I would say if, if I thought it was wrong, I don't I'm not censoring any opinions here. But the reason why I think that it's right is because... Rise of the Resistance is there, but it's not always a part of your your Star Wars experience. It's right. very e-ticket plus. It's a whole kit and caboodle if that's what you want to do for the day. And it builds up so much drama and anticipation for it that it's not like the land doesn't work without. Mm-hmm. And even with it being there you will still go to the land and that will not be a part of your day and you'll still have a good lap through it. it. You know, it wasn't like it boarded off a whole section and you're like, this is it? We can only walk from here to there? Like, it, it's so not even noticeable that it wasn't there that when I came in yeah. on opening day, I had to backtrack around and be like, so where is that? Like, I knew, because I'd studied the map, I knew where it was living, I just wasn't aware of where's its entry point, where's its exit point. And so I wanted to go back and sort of judge how all of that was, was going to work and come together. So I think that if I had to give Disney a grade on their rollout for this, I would say A++. They could have charged more. They could have limited access and made this a very expensive rollout. And me and some of my dumb friends... We're willing to pay a lot of money to be the first mm-hmm. people in there. The reservation system of you get four hours for free, unbelievably gracious. Then they adjusted it that you could, all right, you have a party for six. Times change. Maybe you have a couple other buds that come with you. You can just bring whoever. I mean, right. that got me in there a couple of times. Shout out to my bud Alex who got me in. I mean, it, it was so nice how they laid all of that out. And by spreading it out like that, people didn't rush it. It wasn't yep. a mess. The way that Rise opened up, they managed everybody's expectations. And it wasn't like, here's all this sick stuff. Book your hotel rooms. Come in right now. Because it would have been mayhem. And that would have yes. really ruined the first way that you see it. So for a company that everybody's like, oh, they just want to make your money. They left a lot of money on the table for Gallagher. And I think that they really did it to not 
get criticized and to create a superior fan experience. And that's why it bummed me out so hard that they didn't get greedy and they took the smart route Mm -hmm. and they got hammered. And that's what made me so angry about the creator community that I'm a part of that people criticize this because like, dude, they couldn't have thought more about other than they did put your favorite character in there and build the ride that was inside your head. Right. So like from that point, do you, do you feel like, um, like the, the creator or the sort of social media response to this thing, do you think that's just the future though of everything? I think Um, everything's doomed. Yeah. I mean, like, there are so many voices screaming out like there will be an opinion for everything and it kind of just depends on who picks up what like okay let's make this the story for this thing um it is the biggest rollout that they've had ever right like no nothing else sort of builds up to this because it's star wars because it's a whole land and everything like i, I can't think of anything even in the near future. i even think with marvel um i think they're going to get it, hammered on marvel but the pressure seems different don't you think in a yes and no okay because you're not a marvel guy yeah star wars is a very specific thing to a lot of people yeah but marvel is a very fun thing to almost everyone other than you and (laughs) marvel is this thing that today's modern family are building our star wars memories of the past right yes for sure i agree with that and i think it's going to be so small compared to Galaxy's Edge. Galaxy's Edge is so above and beyond. Rise of the Resistance is a once-in-a-lifetime attraction. Smuggler's Run is incredibly efficient and very family-friendly, and everybody gets out of it exactly what they need out of it. I don't see Web Slingers being in that same ballpark. Right. I think they're going to get hammered because people don't know how to manage their expectations. People love these brands. Uh, it's probably going to be very long before the e-ticket opens, and if it's anything close to what they're planning, who knows, because the money is so messed up because of the pandemic. Mm. I think their media department better be ready, because I think they're just going to get hammered. Because Galaxy's Edge, I follow all of the stuff because it's my job. Yeah. Galaxy's Edge was going to be the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. And all what you needed to do in SEO to move the needle is tell everybody, great, good news, this is happening, this is happening, and people would watch your videos. And then the next way to make money off of Galaxy's Edge was to be the first people there. First video, first ride through, first explanation, you make the money. And then the next way was to tell everybody how it sucked. Mm-hmm. And because it's my job, I watch other content creators. And yeah. I constantly get aggravated. But I have a very small audience. But I'm smart enough to know how to make this a full-time job. Mm-hmm. But I see people that get numbers that lack me. And they are horrible content creators. Don't have in, um, informed opinion, sloppy production, and for whatever reason, they're anointed, they break the algorithm, and they have numbers that just go nuts around me. And if I had those numbers with my business smarts, oh, I'd be building my own Galaxy set. <laughs> But I would watch some of these videos just to see what people were saying, and maybe I'm getting a, a wrong perspective. Well, I haven't been there, but yes. my friend went there, and here's a photo of how dead it was at 11 o'clock on a Tuesday in July. Right, right. How can that be how you review it? If you want to review, listen to me. I've spent more hours in there than everybody. I've looked at every building, everything. I can tell you what the full potential is, where the hidden stages are. The areas where it's going to expand. Like, I have studied this thing like it's the Torah. And it (laughs) drove me insane 
because I was watching channel get a video that would pop and then they would say, oh, when you complain about it, you get 50,000 views. Right, right. And these people are sellout. They're not fans. They are sellouts for the algorithm, for the money that they get on you watching their ads, and they will tell you whatever enrages you so that you keep hitting play. Mm-hmm. And it was from something, these aren't artists. You and I are art. We know what Disney did to build this, and to build mm-hmm. it smart, and to build it to last. And I, I try to be nice on this show because it's a Disney podcast, but these people aren't smart enough to see what was in front of them, and they they led their audiences down a, a dark path to profit off of something because they weren't smart enough to see the full potential. And I hate to say that, but that's a real opinion. That's what I do for a living. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I was, I was, um, you know, I don't, I don't do this for a living. But um, what do you do? I, uh, nothing. Um, Must be nice. Yeah. But I was disappointed by the, like, I'm like, I think it, it, it just seems so, um, I, and maybe because I loved it so much that, I, you know, obviously I felt that a little bit more, but even something like you look at Carsland, where I think that they sort of nailed it and hit it out of the park. I, I, I don't love those films or anything like that, but it wasn't like I was going to go into it with this sort of cynical eye and stuff like that. And of course, I also too, like you were saying about being create a creator or something like that, like I... I take pause before I sort of dismiss something a little too quickly because For you sure. know the amount of work that goes into it. You know the thought process yeah. behind it, and you appreciate it for that thing. And I know everyone can appreciate it on that level, and probably most general park goers don't, right? They just want to get through a line quickly and get on a ride that they love. And and that's really their experience as opposed to sort of taking the, the big picture in. So, so maybe that's sort of the disconnect right there for me is like we're, we're looking at it as sort of a bigger view a wider view of how this thing fits into the park as opposed to just like um you know the drop should have been faster or, or something like that um so i think there's there's that aspect of it too but i just like the cynicism just seems so out of character i mean i know now everyone there's so much coverage of everything disney does every move they can change the toilet paper the restrooms and it's a it's a week-long story from everybody about how that's the, the you know it's the end of the quality for disney and it's this right. new guy that's in that's that's doing this and we knew we shouldn't have had this guy come in and i suppose that's just sort of the sport of it well um, here but it's awful <laughs> you know we're gonna get into a little bit of a different subject but it i think it is important to the conversation to inform the audience from a professional in the space mm-hmm. if you don't have great ideas you have to lean on news because if you don't have it in you to create an original way to do something or a unique opinion on things, then you have to follow the news cycle. So everything that Disney does, they make it into news because that's how they keep making videos and podcasts and that's how they keep the audiences coming in and that's how they keep the numbers going. And so everything has to be a big deal because they don't have anything else to talk about. Right. And I watch channels build on negativity and numbers and you know things that make people mad it it, it it somehow pleases this bizarre thing we have in humans and also for everybody who's bummed out that they didn't get to go and see it because they don't live down the street like you and I do mm-hmm. trashing it tells a lot of people you're not missing anything right 
Right. And so it also placates the people that felt like losers because they weren't there on opening day, like all the cool guys that live out here. And then a week later, somebody's being like, you ain't missing anything. And yeah. that also plays into it. So I think Marvel Land is going to get trashed. And, and if I don't like it, I'll tell you. But I'll also tell you what I think is positive about it and how I think it'll scale to the future. I have no interest to ride the emotional whirlwind. That being said, it is beautiful. I'm not mm-hmm. just saying that because Tasha was on the show. I would have I would have given her the business, but you guys could have tried harder on this. <laughs> right. But they took something. There was a trash ride. Flicks, flyers, nobody here. Except right. for some crazy person that follows me around on the internet trying to get me to sign a petition to put Flick back in the park. It's not going to happen. Give up. <laughs> so, with, with the emotional whirlwind, they took an off-the-shelf attraction, put a ton of storytelling into it, and made it just amazing. Yeah. You have to look at that for what it is. Do I want to ride it? No. Will I ride it? Probably never. But I always enjoy walking by and looking at it. And I will do the same thing when Avengers Campus opens up. And I feel bad for them because it's basically done. Like, Web Slingers is done. Sitting there, ready to ride. It's funny, though, like, watching something like the Imagineering story, which is fantastic. And and they're covering a lot of history in a very, you know, short amount of time. Uh, But watching that... you start to see how the history gets truncated because it has to. And what I don't like is that this kind of reporting will affect, you know, in the future, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, they're going to be like Star Wars Land, which had sort of a bumpy start. Like, oh, don't you don't have to say that, but they they will feel compelled to say that right. because of... Because if they the don't, sort of, they're leaving out something important. Right, right. This, this false narrative that's been created simply to create media and not based on anything else but that's going to sort of mar the thing or that you know even when you were talking to people early on they're saying like hey what's up with that star wars land here it's not that great and then you have to go into the sort of defense of it <laughs> oh i got arrested so many times <laughs> i couldn't hate I got, those are fighting words don't say it again <laughs> you know. so i think that's what's unfortunate because i i can't imagine being an imagineer or someone working on some process of this and to see such casual criticism tossed aside you know dismissing this park uh, part of the park so quickly that's got to be heartbreaking new orleans square mm-hmm. two attractions both yep. of them are fantastic uh, Frontierland, one attraction that people care about. Critter Country, one attraction that people really care about. I mean, when yeah. you look around the park, other than Tomorrowland and Fantasyland, and it's only because of their ancestrage, mm-hmm. you don't get a lot of rides per land. Radiator right. Springs, Cars Land, absolutely beautiful. Only one attraction that adults care about. Right, right, right. So, you know, there's, there's nothing to do there. Okay, so when you go to Cars Land, what are you doing other than buying cone queso and riding Radiator Springs? Are you telling me that you always go over there and get on Mater? And look, I understand if you have a family and you have kids, that kind of changes the whole perspective. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you something, Mom. Your little baby's going to grow up one day. Not always going to want to ride Maters. So enjoy mm-hmm. it right now. But soon, that kid's going to want to go to the Galaxy's Edge. Conveniently located in Disneyland. Tickets available now. So I, I think they're in trouble with Avengers because of the culture that we're in, but also you just gave everybody something that's once in a lifetime. And I think Avengers Campus is going to really paint an accurate picture of what a blessing 2019 was for getting Galaxy's Edge. While we're in a moment of kind of being critical, Hmm. so that this is a rounded out conversation. Okay. What, What was anything that sort of 
disappointed you in year one? I mean, we've vocalized that we wish they would use the upper stages and there's more characters. Right. But beyond that, was there anything that felt small that was a that maybe the height got you thinking that it was going to be more than what it was? What didn't land right for you? So coming from the space that we absolutely love, the big picture of this thing. And then if we, yeah, like we said, drill down into sort of the details. But I will say this. The biggest complaint I have about it is actually the uh, Millennium Falcon ride. I love that ride because I love everything up to the point of the actual ride. Hmm. I love the queue. I love the Falcon outside. I love sitting in that cockpit. I love everything until the ride actually starts. And there is some amazing technology that's happening in there. But because the storyline takes place in this sort of abstract world and we're, we're, we're greeted by Hondo at the beginning, a character that most people probably don't even really know sort of exists outside. He's, of. Also, the, he's also the lobster across the street, right? <laughs> exactly. So, um, Ariel, I need you to take some cargo for me. I wanted to like that ride a little bit. The actual ride, I wanted to like that ride a little bit more. I still think Star Tours does a better job of telling a compacted story in, uh, through screens um, than I think what we got in Smuggler's Run. But I will say, I think that's something that could easily be adjusted because I love, I literally love every other aspect. I love pushing buttons on that thing. I love being in the Falcon's cockpit and and, and, and um, how the cast members interact with you and how they cue you up and how they call your group and you can sit at the chessboard. Everything is so good. I want to like that ride even more. So, But I think that's ultimately a very small complaint um, for, for so such a big area. It's the It's the... The actual graphics in the storyline. So let's say that they did, because there's been rumors of them doing a Mandalorian storyline. Right, right, right. So if the graphics were maybe a little bit more um, uh, live action and not like, because it feels very video game-ish. So yes. if it yeah. felt more like a movie scene and less like playing Star Wars at home on a video game console, that would maybe make it a, a complete home run for you? I think it's like what we talked about with uh, Toy Story Midway Mania. Uh, it, it's um, the, the interaction is fun, right? And I get that. I think a lot of people really like that. But I wouldn't say you have to take away one element to add another element. Mm. Like with Toy Story Midway Mania, there's a few more story points in there or, or animatronics or some other thing that just makes right. it that you're not being pushed in front of a screen. You can keep the game element. That's fine. I get that. Everybody loves that. But for the other people who are like, you know, I don't I don't really care if I get the high score in the card or not. Like, I, I just want to be charmed by this whole concept. Right. I think that's what I want to see is like there should be equal amounts of that in the ride portion of that ride uh, just as much uh, just as important as sort of that kidding buttons element of it. Yeah, you and I have talked before about like on the Midway Mania when you do those turns to go down the next alley. Why mm-hmm. is there not a Woody there telling me one part of the story? I play a game and then I go around the next turn and then Jesse's continuing that story. Like, you got to go right. over here to get more points so that we can get buzz. You know, like this whole like quest that you're on. I, I think that makes sense. I had a, I'm such a weirdo. I have a, a little bit of a different critique about that attraction of what disappointed me you know when you're walking into it where there's the three different lanes there's the single rider the fast pass and then the gin pop you know that sort of cylinder tower there Mm -hmm. i thought that was going to be like 10 feet tall Mm. like just looking at all the what a weird critique right like looking at all the concept art i just had a feeling that that was going to be um like the sleeping beauty castle of the land like i was expecting that tower to be like a little bit more grandiose like a Mm flight control tower or have a little bit more happening and it just felt a little short 
but that's my expectations off of comp art. I was really let down by the blue milk. Um, <laughs> I think somebody owes Disney some money for getting paid to research that and say, here it is, I made it. And everybody that drank it and went back to the office and act like it was a good deal, I need to have a talking to it. Like, I just think that that was such a miss. So green milk, it's sort of a new thing. It doesn't, there's no expectation for green milk, whether you liked it or not. So it's the blue milk that everyone wanted to be sort of this thing, the dull whip of Star Wars fan, and it, it didn't come close to that. So that's why that's more disappointing, say, than green milk, which I cannot drink. I think they're both disappointing. I, <laughs> I love that stand. I like its location. Yep. You know, they, they really sold the comp art on all of these yep. stands and the aliens and interactive uh, interactions of it. I just thought that the product was really bad. And unfortunately, I, I like the Ronto wrap. I think that's really good. And you've been able to use that vernacular, which I enjoy. Um, <laughs> I've had some good stuff from Docking Bay 7. I think that that's a... For a walk-up counter service, it's a bit of an upscale menu, and, and I like the food that they have there, and I like that it's, I'm not going to say that it's necessarily the healthiest food, but it's well-rounded. You get vegetables and right. stuff, and there's an artistry to it. Uh, I just wish there was a really good sweet. Like, I, I wish mm. that the blue milk was, like, getting an amazing milkshake, and I wish that I was sit there every time I was, oh, blue or green. Blue. Well, I got blue last time. I'll get green this time. Um, make the green a shamrock shake. Make the blue uh, some sort of blueberry thing, and we'll forget the first year. Uh, so that was a, a little bit of a letdown for me. But I was I was pretty happy uh, across the board. I, I, I was I was pretty pleased. Like Smuggler's Run, I knew wouldn't be an attraction for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that I just wouldn't kind of like that so I didn't have big expectations but I know who that ride's designed for and it's not my kind of Disney attraction right Smugglers or um, Rise of the Resistance was the home run that I was looking for so really other than a couple of buildings scale being a little bit weird like once again I was a little bit disappointed by Kylo Ren's ship because Mm. the scale seems off like Mm. He walked up and out of the ramp to make his grandiose appearance, which is rad. How does he fly that thing, laying on his back? Is that like the guy on the beach that has the bicycle where he pedals with his hands? <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So just a couple of oddity-type things like that. And then my evolution, my big complaint, and I think I need to go to City Hall and talk about this one. There's that amazing doorway where you can take a phenomenal selfie in it because of the way that it's lit. Yes. And Which I guess we all people, did. We all was, did hard. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, and people, were, I guess, were trying to open that door because there's no signs. So then they just put two trash cans. Mm-hmm. And those trash cans being in there burned me up because it's like spitting in the face of artistry of like, well, you know, people don't understand it, so we're going to throw a trash can there. But it, I will say... The one new things that we did get, Rise was already kind of a given, mm-hmm. but those soda carts that they put in, yes, those were really really cool, and I think that started to show people they're not done, and even when they sell soda here, they're going to put in a sort of a droid ran cart, and the fact that those droids will randomly just like talk to you, and the the sprite one's green, and the the, mm-hmm. the coke one's red, and the diet coke one's silver, like, I. I like that type of stuff, and I think that gives me a little bit of hope that it's going to keep growing in that way. But overall, uh, I know our year got cut short because of the yeah. pause-demic. 
But I created some great memories in Galaxy's Edge, and it was enough to keep me going back and back on solo missions, on oddity missions, if I wanted to see it at night, and I wanted to hear the sounds, and I wanted to spend time in there. And um, I said it earlier, but I had high expectations. It went above and beyond, and I really have an overwhelming positivity of how this land will evolve. And I think when we have this conversation at the two or five year, we'll really be able to tell it. Oh, well, remember when that's where they sold the popcorn, but then they got rid of it. Now they do this. And remember when you couldn't drink blue milk, but now Bricky can't have enough of them because it's like a cinnamon roll in a cup. Like, I think that we'll see an evolution of it all. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think it's like... um What's interesting about this land and, and the, the, the type of storytelling they're doing here, uh, because it's otherworldly, is like, I think it'd be fun to sort of create these sort of um, fictional holidays. They don't have to stick to Christmas and Halloween or, and, and when everyone knows to come to these things. They can be like, oh, this was the day of, you know, whatever, it, it, Imperial Freedom Day or something like that. Like this, yeah. was, every day, you know, whatever, whatever an off month is for them, every whatever, March, we celebrate the day that we were, uh, you know, uh, freed of the empire or something like that. So they do some special week-long celebration there that becomes a traditional thing. Um, you know, we're getting some of that with celebration, but even that feels like, uh, for Disney to officially do that, feels outside of the storytelling. But if they can use this to be like, oh, we're celebrating these old trilogy things because it's part of our history... I think some approach like that would be fun to be able to sort of bring in old, old things, but also give it an excuse like, oh, you got to come to the park, you have to come to Galaxy's Edge this month because they're celebrating this thing and they've got this special churros or whatever, special food or whatever offerings and things like that. I think there's so many ways they can exploit, not exploit, but uh, celebrate those kinds of things and, and make it like uh, an exciting reason to come to the park, other than just that, oh, we're going to go ride this ride. I have three predictions for what we will see happen in year two, assuming that we get close to a full calendar year. Right. I believe that we will see a must-have food item will evolve in that land. Good. They have a handful of places to sell food, and I just feel like they know that they've got to get that go-to thing. So Mm -hmm. I think what the land is missing is a must-have sweet type attraction. Yeah, yeah. And it's lacking there. And I think if they can nail that, they'll be rewarded. So I see there being a must-have food in, in the next year. I also think that we will see, when we're having this conversation next June, we will see some Mandalorian in there. Mm-hmm. I feel like the child is a no-brainer, and I feel like Mandalorian will be in there at some point in I wouldn't be surprised if it's not coordinated around season two of Mandalorian launching in the fall. Right. And I think that that's in good shape to still come out because they were already working on season two when we were watching season one. Right. And my biggest prediction for year two is that they will do something with the fireworks Mm. to make it more of an experience and to placate more to Galaxy's Edge by doing music or finding a way to make the fireworks work with it even if it's some nights they have a fireworks display just for galaxies at mm-hmm. because as you know one of the things we're talking about with the future of social distancing is is pop-up performances so some nights 
all of a sudden Disneyland just lights up and you get Believe in Magic or one of those traditional fireworks shows. But maybe some nights you just get a rando Galaxy's Edge fireworks show set to the sight and sound of the Galaxy's Edge. But I feel confident that those three things will happen because they're somewhat easy and they could fix some of the financial burdens that the park's going to have without going too crazy. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think, I think like we've kind of said every time we've talked about this, is those are like the, the simple fixes. Like, it's atmospheric. It's not um, huge uh, attractions or anything like that. Like, well, I think what they did with, like, um, Jedi Training Academy in Tomorrowland, it's a very basic concept, and it, it involves the, you know, people go nuts to have their it was kids great. in that great. thing find a way to do that kind of thing maybe it's multi-generational maybe it's not just kids but it's a way to incorporate either whole families or adults or um, because every star wars geek in the world wants to do that even as an adult so if they can find ways to do that kind of a thing where there where it's these um simple shows that, that fall in line with the storytelling but also involve uh, spectators and make you want to watch like i'm fine watching that that training academy um without participating i think we need more of that kind of stuff um, and i think it's coming i think they just have to kind of figure out what to do or if it was like droid races or something like that where you, the droid you built you can now race it around this thing and everyone watches and you know that kind of stuff we're just involved with sort of the existence. Right? I, think, I think we're going to find more of that stuff where it takes advantage of what's already in place. There's already DIY droid races that happen outside of the park from those yeah. droid clubs and stuff. And, and, and I think one of the things that would, for everybody who said that it's a failure, look at um, the Life Day celebration, the independent Life Day celebration put on by the fans. And look at the Droid Builders Club and, and the droid racing that happens in the picnic area out of the land. It's not a failure because it's already creating its own culture. And there are hardcore Star Wars fans that realize that finally we have a physical land to celebrate Star Wars. So I would say that any land that already has its own cultural independent celebrations that the fans are doing for themselves, you know, like something like Dapper today that was mm-hmm. you know, yeah. designed by the fans or exactly. you know, the pride we get. It's like whenever you get into something where the subculture is making something happen there is no way you can say that's a failure because that's beyond the corporation like that is saying that this land has an emotional response and a soul to people and i think that that is the biggest indicator that it's a massive success and we're just in the very very beginning of it jared i cannot wait until we get to go back to the galaxy's edge and continue yes. our photo series that we have hashtag alone <laughs> in the galaxy jared and i have so many sick pics of us being like all right as soon as that guy in that group all right they're gone pose <laughs> just ripping photos of us because there were so many nights we were there right till midnight and we have all these rad photos of just us in the galaxy's edge because we were literally waiting for somebody to be like uh, you guys got to leave now. All right, no problem, sir. <laughs> Although I will say one of my favorites is when Chewbacca stopped by and uh, photo gave us a pat on the head. That's the that's still the best, right? That's all it took, right? <laughs> you know, talking about how it doesn't take much to make that land come to life. Mm-hmm. The few times I've encountered R two D two, yeah, because it's so random when he's rolling and cruising about. And I had the first time I saw him, he like. You know, he just creates a mass of people, but he rolled yeah. straight up and he just talked like I got singled out for whatever reason. Whoever was, you know, yeah. I mean, R2 spotted me. Uh, it was like, 
I, it yep. was, I was giddy. Like, it took my breath away. It was like, oh, my God, he's real, and he's talking to me. It's a mate. Oh, yeah, and we're I, we're both kind of cynical about uh, character things in any other sections of the park. <laughs> what are you talking about? I got but, the autograph book right here. <laughs> so it's funny to be like, this is where it works for me, right? This is where I get excited. I get a little nervous. Like, oh, my gosh, look at that. Like, it's so great. So I think I think the key into that stuff, I, I can't wait for more of that stuff. You saw 3PO on 80s night. Yeah, I did. Yeah, just briefly. That. You know, it's one of those things. He seems so small. <laughs> I felt panic for whoever was. I mean, I felt. Yeah. Uh, it looks scary to be a cheater, you know. But yeah, that's all it takes. I think it's more just that stuff, and, and you'll get everyone super excited about uh, an experience that they had in this park, not just waiting in line or getting a boarding pass. Yeah, uh, sort of a final thought is, is everything that we complained about or suggested, I think mm-hmm. suggested is a better way to say it. Yeah. Everything that we suggested is how to put more icing on top of the cake. Yeah. But we really have no complaints about the footprint, the layout, the concept. It's built the last. And, yeah. And, and I think as a fan, you just get excited to see how will they tell the story? How will they engage people? How will they make people that have already been there book the flight? at the hotel, bring the kids back out because now they've got to meet the kid or the child or they've got to do this experience that wasn't there in year one or year two or year five. Mm-hmm. For sure. I have I have complete confidence that Star Wars will continue to give us stuff like The Mandalorian. There's going to be some misses, of course, too. Sure. But I think you know there's going to still be stuff where it, something that finds that right balance, that, that draws on nostalgia, but looks forward and then it's just going to... Uh, continue to be a showcase for that kind of stuff. A, a physical place for this never-ending world of Star Wars fans to go to celebrate these things. And when you're there and you walk around it and you're in it, it it's just yeah. so breathtaking. The level, the details, the storytelling. like it. It's just rare that you see things that are this well executed, this well thought out. And, and you know, from a trained Disneyland eye, it is such a strong template from which I believe great things will grow. All right, everybody, I hope you had fun looking back on the first year of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Uh, a little pigmated in there, but, you know, <laughs> this is my job, and I, I hate to see people mislead their audience, and I love each and every one of you for showing up and going to Galaxy's Edge and Disneyland or California Adventure mm-hmm. with me and Jared or whoever else is sitting next to me for that week. And I think that people have a right to honor their audience and to not mislead them uh, into negativity to, to move the needle. And I can assure you, if I'm giving you a negative opinion, it's just because what I care about, because I make the same amount either way. Because I'm not big <laughs> enough to live off the numbers. I got a whole other <laughs> racket going on. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Until the next time we see you, make sure you live the magic every day. And whatever you do right now, you can't stop believing in the magic. Trust me, it's real. You just have to know where to look for it. 